Hello, I'm Dennis Nunn, the developer of Every Believer Witness, and I host these podcasts intended to do what our ministry is designed to do, help ordinary believers just like you and myself to share Jesus and get better at sharing Jesus with our family and our friends and our classmates and our co-workers. I want to thank you for joining me today. This podcast today and the next two are very special podcasts. Because of the season, I want to share a three-part message entitled, Three Lessons, Three Things We Should Do at Christmas. And I've taken these principles from Matthew chapter 2. And before we get into Matthew chapter 2, by the way, if you're at home, please get your Bible. You're going to want to have that. In a lot of places, I'm going to encourage you to mark things. Now, obviously, if you're in your car, don't reach for your Bible app or your Bible. But I encourage you when you get home, really, to look this up and make some notes about what we're going to learn today. And before we do, I just want to remind you that um, we don't find celebration of Christmas in the Bible. In fact, we're never told to celebrate Jesus' birth. We're told to celebrate his death, to look forward, you know, and his resurrection, to look forward to his coming again. But we're never told to celebrate his birth. And there's no indication Jesus was born in December, much less December the 25th. In the New Testament, we don't see the early church celebrating Jesus' birth. Uh, in fact, it was really about the third century or in the 300s when Christians wanted to take a pagan festival called Saturnalia and Christianize it. As the church got organized, they did that a lot. They would take pagan things and want to turn them into Christian celebrations, and that's really the origin of Christmas. For that reason, there are some people that choose not to celebrate Christmas, and we could choose to do that. Or what I prefer to choose is understanding the background of Christmas to use this celebration of God coming to earth to celebrate our Lord Jesus and to learn lessons and be reminded of lessons that will help us as his followers. So with that in mind, I'm going to read Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Uh, we use various translations. We have our materials in King James. Some of them will use ESV. I'm reading out of the NIV today. And this is in Matthew chapter 2. Follow along. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw a star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written. And they quote from Micah chapter 5, 2. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers in Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said to them, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. 
when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense or frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now, let me share with you, and your pastor and other Bible teachers are going to teach great in-depth lessons on this, but I just want to point out a few things as we go through this. We call these, uh, these visitors sometimes the three wise men. You know, we three kings of Orient are. Uh, but there's really no indication that we're just three of them. In fact, it's probably a big group because they'd come hundreds of miles, taking them over a month to get there. They got a lot of valuables with them. They, no doubt they had guards. They had to have servants to provide the food and things. And so they came. And, and Magi is a term refers to, um, in that area of Persia, People who were very learned in certain areas, astronomy was one of those. And that's why we think of them with the star related. These, they were probably had studied the stars, but there were other sacred writings, even magic. The word magi would be used to refer to them. But I think here in the context, we're talking about guys that understood astronomy. And so they came there and they had seen his star. Um, and it's interesting, I put a couple of Bible references in here. I wrote down Numbers 24, 17, where it says a star will come out of Judah. I wrote down Revelation 22, 16, where Jesus is called a bright and morning star. So this is not just a shooting star or some natural phenomenon. This is a specific star, and it's led them to Jesus. So they get to Jerusalem, and they go to the king. And they're wanting to find out specifically in this area where Jesus be born. Bethlehem's about six miles away. And it says that when he heard this, he was disturbed. Now, obviously he was disturbed because Herod was a jealous despot. When he thought his oldest son was trying to become king, he killed his own son. Herod killed his wife. Herod killed his own mother. He didn't want anything threatening his rule. So he was disturbed. And all Jerusalem was disturbed. Some of them were disturbed because if Herod's upset, we're in trouble. And then when he called the, the priest and the chief priest and, and the teachers there, they had a pretty comfortable arrangement going. So no doubt they didn't want Jesus coming on the scene, disturbing what was going on with them. So when Herod told them, it's over in Bethlehem, the star then that had obviously paused over Jerusalem traveled and stopped over the place where Jesus was. And when it came when they came and they found the house where he was, notice when the star stopped, they were overjoyed, and they went in, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And this is the very first thing that I see they did that you and I ought to do at Christmas time. This ought to be a time of worship. Now uh, in verse 2, this is, by the way, this is the very reason they came. Notice, when they came to Herod, they said, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? We've seen a star in the east, and we came for what purpose? To worship him. Then in verse 11, when they got to where the star was, they saw him, they bowed down, they knelt, they bowed down, and they 
worshiped him. Now, the Bible doesn't define for us exactly, it doesn't give us an exact definition of worship. It really doesn't. The word comes, a compound word, and it really literally means to kiss toward. Uh, it would use like a picture of a dog licking the hand of its master. So it's got various aspects of definition of worship, but it would be to honor, to revere, to adore, and the responses or the expressions of having that kind of attitude. In other words, it's kind of like repent. Repent means a change of mind that results in a change of action. You don't just change your mind, but it changes your actions. And worship is an attitude that comes forth in actions. Um, and so I want, to, want us to think about the fact that Jesus was worshiped then. He was worshiped then. And by the way, worship of Jesus is seen throughout his life. Um, I started a little chain in my Bible of references. I love doing that. And so notice in verse 11, where it says they bowed down and worshiped him. I circled the word worship, and in my Bible, I wrote down 8-2, referring to Matthew 8-2. And let me turn over there and read what happened in Matthew chapter 8, verse 2. If you have your Bible, you can turn with me. So notice Matthew chapter 8. I'll actually start with verse 1. When he, Jesus, came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him. And some translations say bowed down. But that is the word that's translated worship back in Matthew 2.11. In Matthew 2.11, it says they bowed down. That's one thing they did. And they worshiped. And here it says they knelt to the bow. But it's not the word that was bowed down in, in 2.11. It's the word worshiped. So they came and worshiped him. Now, right beside chapter 8, verse 2, I wrote chapter 9, verse 18, or just 9.18. And notice what happened in 9.18. Jesus is teaching about the parable of the wineskins. And it says, while he, Jesus, was saying this, a ruler came and knelt before him. And guess what? That word that's translated knelt is the same word, worshiped. And then right beside 918, I put 1433. Chapter 14, verse 33. We see a very familiar incident where Jesus and his disciples he has come to them walking on the water. And after Peter walks on the water and he starts to sink and Jesus grabs him and they get in the boat, notice what chapter 14, verse 33 says. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him. And we see other places where it happens. So in Jesus' life, he was worshiped. And then I think you know Jesus will be worshiped. There's coming a day when every knee is going to bow. Every tongue will confess. We see scenes in Revelation of the saints bowing down before him. Uh, everybody's going to be praising and worshiping Jesus. But what I want us to see is that Jesus is to be worshiped. And there's several aspects of worship I want you to think about. First of all, we should worship publicly. That's what these wise men did right there in front of the people, these Wealthy, distinguished people, they bowed down and then they worshiped him. Um, and we shouldn't be ashamed to worship him. Uh, there's not a lot of bowing down, or even kneeling goes on in most churches. 
But I maintain that would be a really good thing to do. In fact, I, I think, uh, I'm old enough, I've been around a long time in churches, I think so much of our expressions of worship in church are cultural, and it's the way, it's traditional, it's what we think of and what we do. But I want to remind, help you remember, the Jews were very expressive people. God could have picked any people, any group, to bring Jesus from, but he picked the Jews. It wasn't anything for a Jew to just tear their clothes or sit down on the ground and throw dirt on their hair. I mean, these were expressive people. I remember one of the first times I made a trip to Israel. There were We were out somewhere in a location in town, and these two guys, Jewish guys, were just in each other's face, and they were hollering, and they were, and I said to a guy, I said, what's going on? He said, oh, they're just having a discussion. I mean, very expressive people. Um, and, and I maintain that'd be very appropriate for us. Um, remember, worship is an attitude and an expression of it as well. So some, some expressions are to kneel. Um, some would be to fall on the face. The Bible shows us people doing that, falling on their face before the Lord. I'll never forget. Uh, when I was pastor of Bethany Baptist in Snellville, Georgia, we had a, a special singer to come in, Chuck Sullivan. I love Chuck. I love his music. And during the service, when we were doing praise and worship mu music, Chuck got so under conviction about things God showed him his life, he knelt and then he fell face forward on the floor in front of the pulpit and, and was just worshiping, prostrating himself before the Lord. Uh, you know one of the most common expressions of worship in the Bible? Hold on, you Presbyterians and Baptists. Raising hands. The Bible is full of expressions about raising hands to the Lord. Uh, but whatever expression that we do, remember, He is worthy. And we want to be worshiping publicly, but we also should worship privately. Um, in our homes, with our families, Christmas should be another special time. In other words, we really want to do it all year, but it should be a special time to talk about Jesus, to focus more on Jesus than on presents. On your Christmas tree, have nativity ornaments. Uh, have scripture ornaments. Um, teach why presents uh, are, are given, where that comes from, and talk about giving presents especially to Jesus. So we ought to worship publicly and we ought to worship privately. You should worship personally. And so that means not just with my family, but just with myself. Just me and the Lord one-on-one. -on -one. It means spending time in His Word. It means spending time talking to Him. It means when, when music's playing, I, I love it. When music's playing, it worships the Lord. And I am as expressive in my house with myself in my office, in my car. I imagine some people riding down the road think, look at that crazy man over there. But the fact is, worship starts personally. Then it becomes privately, and then it becomes publicly uh, worship. And so don't get so busy this Christmas season that you fail to worship. Remember, what did the wise men tell Herod? Why did they come? We have come to Worship Him. So the first of the three things that we want to do at Christmas is worship.
I hope you've been blessed by this podcast. I hope you'll share it with your friends. Let your friends and family know. We just want to get the word out, have more people knowing Jesus, bragging on Jesus, and worshiping Jesus. God bless you.